I apologize for that. So we're starting three minutes late, but I'll just recover, uh, re review what I already spoke about. So uh, thank you for joining us today, August 11th, uh, 2020, a day where the S&P is trying to just get to its all-time highs, only about 1% below at this point. We've obviously had an incredible market run since the bottom, and it continues to uh, to be to be pretty strong, although it's it's um, it hasn't gone uh, straight up, um, and we've had some faults along the way. But we certainly seem to be in a phase right now where it's where it's showing some good good market strength. Same day as the Dow Jones has, has also had a strong recovery. We don't use that for performance performance purposes, but that's the one which gets more widely cited in the news. So um, let's just press on with the first slide, and I'll kind of give an update on kind of where everything is. So this is where we are as of August. Um, the labor market will be very, very slow to recover. Um, what we've seen is obviously, uh, you know, 51, 52 million people um, sign on for claims uh, over the last 12 weeks. We obviously had a set of appalling non-farm payroll numbers, the biggest of which was um, over 20 million. Uh, and nothing really suggests big improvement. There's certainly improvement from the lows. Uh, we had a non-farm payroll number last week of about 1.5 million. I don't think it's nearly as strong as, as uh, some people claimed it was. But basically, we're going to see a very, very long time before we get the labor market back up to where it was in February. And it might even do lasting damage to the labor market, uh, given that uh, people might voluntarily exit the labor market or just feel that they're their time uh, spent looking for a job is no longer likely to pay off. So um, it's, it's, it's going to be a, a very, very uh, long recovery. What I mean by long, at least a year and a half, two years, where we're going to be seeing inflation, sorry, unemployment, uh, at least over 5%. Remember that the, uh, the Fed thought that full employment was more, more or less down at three and a half, four. So everything really depends on the virus, and we're kind of managing for now. Um, it, it's, it's remarkable that there's an in, incredible number of, uh, of uh, talk about vaccines on the table. I just looked up the numbers. There's, there's 139 uh, vaccines in preclinical trials uh, and another 17, 13, and 6. So that's 26 or something, 36 in phase 1, 2, or 3, where the uh, scale of the trials goes up uh, from, from small to expanded to large scale. There's actually six in large scale clinical trials right now. As many of you know, that's, um, we just don't know how they're gonna work out. There's some story today about a Russian vaccine uh, a, that, that, that looks promising. Um, difficult to put a lot of credence on that, but that's the kind of thing that the market likes to hear. Um, but of course, as you know, these vaccines normally take, oh, three or four years. To, uh, to, to get to full market uh, usage. So they're trying to collapse an awful lot of uh, study and clinical trials into a shorter time. It doesn't mean that it can't be done, um, but I think you know even best case, the vaccine is probably, uh, I, I wouldn't want to put a number on it, but a date on it, but I think uh, six, six months to nine months would be, would be the, the shortest that we get there. So everything depends on the virus and how we manage that. Uh, the second is the Fed. And as I've described, uh, no real change on what the Fed has been saying, it, what, is, what, what it's said and what it's done over the last few months, been very, it's very consistent. It is pulling its full weight behind this, uh, behind this um, difficulty in the market. They're providing liquidity to just about every security that can move. 
particularly on the fixed income side. So that includes treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, corporate bonds, ETFs, you name it. Uh, they have provided pretty much an unlimited stop back. And they'll continue to do that as long as the economy is, uh, is operating way below its capacity. And then the stimulus. Uh, last Friday, we saw the expiry of the $600 increased uh, benefits uh, package. So that's $600 on top of the uh, normal unemployment benefits, which usually last about 26 weeks, not in all states though, some big states like Florida and, and Texas, the, uh, the 26 weeks is a lot shorter than that. So they're beginning to run off um, over the next uh, two or three weeks. And the question is, you know, what does the stimulus uh, do uh, to, to replace that? Uh, obviously we had the executive uh, decisions made on Saturday. Uh, so the big ones there, actually the major ones are that there would be a deferral of the payroll tax. Difficult to see that having much of an effect because, um, you know, these are taxes which are deferred, they're not forgiven. So as an employer, I know some people on this call uh, and actually have wages to meet and payrolls to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to keep going. Uh, do you pass that saving on to uh, the employee or do you kind of essentially bank it uh, because you know you've got to pay it back in January? So that, that one doesn't seem to me to have much legs to it. And of course, um, it, does, it, only, it only works if you're, uh, if, you're, if you're employed. So there's nothing for the 30 million for unemployment, unemployment benefits. So there's that one. We'll see how that works out. And then there's the pushing around of the, um, of the money acquired through FEMA to be able to put $44 billion into a $400 uh, a week um, increase to, uh, it, uh, on the unemployment insurance. They essentially try to re replace the $600, but $100 that has to come up with the states. And as you know, they've been, uh, they don't really have the funding to be able to do that. Um, and that's even aside if there's a legal challenge. And the other two are a sort of moratorium on evictions and a moratorium, actually some, it's not a moratorium, it's 0% on student loans uh, if, uh, if, if, uh, while people sort of defer their payments, but, um, you know, if you're paying a student loan, three or $400, you don't have to do it for the next few months, uh, till the end of the year. Um, and, the, and, and what you don't pay will, will not accrue any interest. It'll be assessed at 0% interest rates. Again, that's only going to work for those types of people who are in work already. So we'll see. I just, I think there'll be a better stimulus coming along. Um, it's hard to think that this is the, the end of it. Um, but I don't think they'll be as rich as the first time around. Okay, recent improvements in the economy are real, uh, but they're slow. So we've seen uh, very good improvements in the housing autos, uh, some retail sales, obviously not uh, big, big, big store, big block um, retail sales, but obviously internet sales and things like that have, have been pretty strong. Uh, and that's primarily because a lot of people's income has not been hit because of the or hit badly because of the uh, unemployment, the extended unemployment benefits. But anything to do on capital expenditure, manufacturing and trade are all weak. And uh, although the numbers have turned around a little bit, uh, it's difficult to see how they're going to grow at a particularly fast rate. I mean, they'll continue to improve. And I think the stock market is beginning to wake up to that right now with, with recent moves in things like materials and industrials. But my gosh, it's going to be an awfully slow haul for them. Um, the increase in the treasury debt is, is pretty alarming, uh, but it's totally being financed by the Fed for now. So it's not pu putting any strain on, on interest rates. It's going to be uh, 
uh, either a problem down the road or it doesn't really materialize into a problem as it's done in other countries which have increased their debt uh, and also had subsequently low growth. It's not likely that we'll get back to the output level. By that, I mean, what was the GDP capable of producing at its, at its peak around about uh, February? Uh, you know, some of that is some of the supply won't be, uh, you know, will be gone forever. I mean, you can just think of a local restaurant that doesn't open up. Uh, in a company that files for bankruptcy, a small company just closes its door. So there'll be some supply issues that'll take a while to get back online. And then the other question is, uh, how long will it take households to rebuild their balance sheet and their spending power? Obviously, you know, they've taken a hit, not if you own capital assets, but if you, you know, 80% of people don't really own, have very much in the stock market, uh, their household net worth has probably taken a big hit and it's gonna take a while for them to rebuild that. And I don't see unemployment really falling below 10% this year. I mean, we're at 10 and a half now, but it's grossly undercounted. Um, the, the unemployment number, if the answers uh, are responded to correctly, and the, the, the Bureau of Labor Services specifically said this, they think that about 1% of people are responding to, to, the, to the questions, to the survey results incorrectly, then unemployment would be 11%. I mean, it could go lower, but it'd be more of a fluke. Um, it would just be more people exiting the workforce so that the denominator is uh, is changing uh, and, and falling for not a good reason. I, people are saying, I, I, I can't possibly find any work and therefore I'm not looking for any work. And if you do say that, then the, the BLS says, well, you're not in the labor force. So I think the better number to look at is, is the U6 unemployment, which talked about you know, the underemployed. And we can also cross check it with the claims numbers. Um, and there you're getting up to about 14% uh, uh, unemployment, which sounds to me much more in line with the number of people on pandemic, uh, on uh, uh, unemployment insurance benefits. There's 30 million people right now. Okay, so that's quick, the quick summary. Um, we've got some slides. I'll try, I'll try to, I might skip a few in the interests of time. Can we go to the next one? So uh, this is really just a quick review of the phases we've been in uh, on this is the global daily new infections, seven-day moving average. Um, you know, obviously the Europe was driving the first phase, um, and then the developed and emerging markets uh, uh, began to uh, to take off, uh, level off with the emerging, uh, level off with the developed and emerging markets, kind of ticking along at an unchanged rate for about four or five weeks, and then emerging markets began to take, pick up a lot more in that June period. Uh, obviously, in the places like Brazil, India, um, you know, began to take off. China, incidentally, as you know, is almost down to zero to all effects. And then the, uh, the, the second wave, as some people don't like to say, it's called the second wave. It's just a continuation of the first one. But whatever it is, it's the U.S. resurgence where, you know, the Northeast kind of had its worst closed downs come to an end. The rest of the country, including California, relaxed some, some of the uh, stipulations and requirements and confinements. And then we had this second this, this US resurgence, which is kind of, looks like it's got a petering out a little bit now. Um, and then hence that graph kind of slopes off a little bit in that fifth and final cohort. So right now we're seeing a little bit more uh, of the developed market resurgence. I mean, the numbers are not alarming, but they are slowly ticking up in places uh, like, um, like France uh, and Germany and, and Spain. So yeah, it's all the shape of the curve and how, we, how that continues to to, to, uh, to shape, shape going forward. Obviously the next slide shows uh, what happens when you really do control the curve. And this is a, a log chart. So Italy 
were going through this terrible time in March and April, where it was um, thousands of cases a day and, and the mortality rate was very high. And now it's below, we recorded like seven or eight a day. And then the next slide shows the, unfortunately, the new cases in the US. I know I've mixed here up cases and deaths. It's sort of not, the, they, the, the deaths are obviously real. They're, they're not misrecorded or anything. The new cases, you can just see that beginning to slope up. Now, this could be down to increased testing. It doesn't really matter from an economic or stock market point of view. The fact is that, that if people, whether the, 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 the close downs continue, people are going to self-isolate. They're not going to want to be in crowds. They're not going to want to go on vacations or be in sporting events or be in crowded shopping areas. And you can just name all the things which people would uh, stay away from if they feel that there's a chance that they might um, get infected. So, you know, this new case uh, is, is, is ticked up a little bit. It seems to be leveling off over the last uh, three or four weeks. But until this begins to, you know, go down, uh, then you, you just can see large parts of the economy which are going to be, uh, you know, very, very, very slow to recover. And then um, the, the, next, the next slide is, is taken from uh, one of the economists that we, that we follow. And you can see the deaths uh, rate came down quite a bit. That's all good news. That's due to better treatment, I think. Uh, from what I've heard, known, read about, um, you know, the medical staff are getting better at treating uh, COVID. So what might have been fatal uh, a few months ago is, uh, is now more treatable. Um, and then the hospitalized uh, number is is beginning to uh, you know come down a little bit. This is all U.S. numbers. So yeah, if those two uh, top lines begin to drift down and the bottom one begins to level out, you know we'll be looking at a at a much better case for the next uh, for the next few weeks. Okay, next let's look at now at what's going on in the. This is such a tough slide to talk about because as you can see, the log scale is absolutely crazy. Two hundred thousand uh, claims is what we were running at for. You know, most of the last year and a half, and then bang, up it goes to six and a half million. It's kind of drifted down, although um, the, it hasn't drifted down as much as I would like to see. Um, and in fact, we had a couple of weeks where it popped back up again. Uh, claims are a pretty good number. They come out every Thursday. There's some statistical noise because some states, big ones like California, report every two weeks, some report every one week. So there's some catching up to do and revisions. But normally, if you're out of a job and you're eligible for insurance benefits, you're going to make your claim. There's, you know, there's, every, uh, there's every incentive for you to do so. Um, I wrote about last week, some people might be moving from this regular claims to the other one, the PUA, the uh, Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, which is sort of another type of claim for people who might not be eligible for these. But rather, way you look at it, this isn't coming down fast enough. Um, and uh, it's difficult to see that this would, it might pop down to a million in the next few weeks, uh, I don't know. But we've only got, um, you know, the, un the unemployment numbers uh, uh, are still pretty rough and uh, really this claim number should have come down a bit more. So that's a little bit disappointing to see. Uh, let's look at the next one. Um, this is the, uh, just, just the Federal Reserve, actually you're talking about a weekly economic index and how people feel about uh, the state of the markets and so on. Um, I don't think the date's showing up there at the bottom, but you can see obviously where it drops off pretty precipitously uh, in, in 20, there we go, uh, in 2019, in 
in uh, February, March. So it's recovered. That's good news. That's the kind of V, but that's not the kind of V people are talking about. That, that's sort of like a partial recovery. And you can lay that type of line over a number of other different economic indicators, whether it's uh, unemployment, it'll be show up in GDP, ISM, manufacturing, retail sales, and so on. It's so obviously this is not a V-shaped recovery, but it is a recovery. And I think that's why you know, the market is sort of like that and we shouldn't, you know, if, if I'm over, sound overly pessimistic at times, remind me, you know, kick me, send me an email or, uh, you know, text on the questions that the recovery is at least happening. It's just not happening at the speed or acceleration or pace that we've expected. Okay, next one. Um, this is, I should, I should change the slide on this. This is not the Fed reducing its balance sheet. Obviously that slide's not reducing anything. It was reducing it. Um, it's the Fed has increased its balance sheet again at an amazing rate. So it was winding things down in 2019. These are all the treasury, what we call the SOMA holdings. It's basically all of the securities that the Fed has bought during quantitative easing was running them down and not reinvesting um, coupons. And then uh, as things matured, they didn't replace them. And obviously uh, then they came back all guns blazing in, uh, in, in March. And since then they've bought uh, treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, as I mentioned earlier, uh, corporate bonds where they've had to uh, and really backstopped all of the increased treasury issuance that we've seen uh, as a result of the, uh, of the different you know, CARES Act and HEROES Act and so on. As the, as, as the treasury borrows more, a lot of it's just finding it straight over to the Fed uh, and hence their increase in the balance sheet. It has leveled out a little bit, which is good news, but they're going to be buying about $80 billion a month in treasuries for, for a while yet. The good news is that they haven't had to come in and do emergency buying to uh, where holders of these securities want to offload them at any, uh, at any cost. So but anyway, the Fed is, um, is, is clearly supporting a lot of this and doing a really good job. And the next, next slide shows the uh, decrease in rates. Um, these are actually lower than they were a month ago when we had the same call, put in the same slide. 56 basis points, the black line for the, uh, for the 10 year, it was about 62 back then. There's a little bit of noise in there, but you can see that, you know, that, that line, uh, my guess would be for the next uh, year or so, unless we see some sort of startling rebound in the economy and or inflation, those numbers are gonna look pretty much the same. We're gonna see, you know, 50, 60, 70 basis points. It might have some seasonal effects on the 10 year treasury for you know, at least another year uh, and maybe longer the fed is committed to that and in response to whenever they're asked what, when you think about raising interest rates powell has said on numerous occasions we're not thinking about it and his uh his board colleagues say pretty much the same thing uh unanimously so um they are clearly not even thinking about any change on that side okay next one uh just always like to put in the long-term numbers you know, it's people talking. Well, the interest rates are going to go back up again. They have to go back up again. Why? Because they've been down so long. Yeah, that's a that's a difficult trot to bet a, bet against. That's you know nearly forty years of declining rates. Yes, there's some cyclical bumps that go back up. You know, along the way, you can kind of see them zigzagging. But you know, I I think uh, you know a five six percent ten year treasury is uh, you know we won't see it in a very very long time. There is a would reasons I don't want to go into here, but there's a lot of cyclical, secular reasons why interest rates are this low, uh, and I think they're going to stay low for a very long time. And there you can see that, you know, the inflation that we were all brought up on in the 70s and 80s, if you extend that chart 50 years in the other direction, you'd see was very much an anomaly on its own. Okay, next one. 
the uh, this is the money supply. I kind of put this in because this, again, this has got some recent attention. Um, if you notice that it's kind of bumping along along the bottom, and if you look at 0809, money supply didn't really increase. That was because the Treasury was buying uh, securities from from banks, and if they buy it from banks, it doesn't increase the money supply. You know, the, the bank holds the Treasury; they swap it out for cash. Their assets are the same. Just instead of holding Treasuries, they're holding um, they're holding uh, uh, overnight cash. But if they buy it from non-financial companies like um, oh, ETFs, which they've done, mutual funds, which they've done, companies who with cash holdings, which they've done directly from pa pension plans, then those are non-banks and that does increase the money supply. And so there you've got this extraordinary increase in the M2 money, money supply. Now, in normal times, this, this would have really rung the alarm bells on inflation. I mean, it's just sort of unprecedented, even back in, you know, in the high inflation eras, uh, you know, 10% was the norm. So this kind of 68% year on year increase is just uh, coolly analyzed is, is unprecedented. But again, I don't think a lot of this cash is going to find its way into inflation type of products. So, um, but uh, it's certainly one to watch out for because we've never seen it before. And, um, you know, if I had a dollar for every time we've had to say that over the last few months, we'd be fairly wealthy. Um, but again, this is something which, um, which you might've read about or heard about. I don't think it's a major issue, but it is, as you can see, just so much different from when they were doing QE just by buying with the, uh, uh, the treasury and mortgage backs directly from the uh, financial companies as opposed to the non-financial companies. Okay. A um, couple of scary charts uh, next. We just saw the uh, big change in the, uh, the non-farm payrolls. I'm just going to be able to pop that slide up. Um, there we go. And again, uh, most of the last few years, uh, it didn't really matter whether there was a Trump tax cut or, or not. Uh, we were bouncing between about 150 to 200,000 new farm payrolls, which basically was in line with population growth or rather um, uh, labor force growth. So didn't see a lot of change in unemployment or wage pressure or things like that. And then obviously, you know, it went down to uh, 22 million. That's the number. And again, all log scale, otherwise the chart would look ridiculous. Um, and it's rebounded, but that, you know, that the, those up numbers are, you know, just um, you know, about one and a half, uh, 1.7 million was the last one. I mean, they're going in the right direction, but um, it just takes a long time to recover 22 million jobs. And the unemployment number, there it is at 10.2, so it's down from its peak. Uh, uh, but as I said, I think the one to look at is the 16 and a half, which, more, which has come down a little uh, less, uh, less quickly. That's probably the real unemployment number. Uh, I've mentioned in the blog, but I would just point out that bottom number of the 4.8% is the a pretty big increase in hourly earnings. Normally, that would get the Fed's attention. Uh, that's a pretty big increase in, um, in, in earnings for the average worker, but it's, it's totally distorted by the fact that 20% of, uh, of those employed um, dropped out of the labor force and they tended to be the lower paid. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the leisure... Um, uh, recreation, hospitality businesses, all lost massive amounts of employees. I mean, that sector was employing 19 people, 19 million people in January. It's now employing about 12. Uh, and they tended to be much lower paid. In fact, their, their average weekly work wage was about $320 compared to the average of 925. So you drop those guys out and everybody else looks uh, like they've got a big pay increase, but they haven't. 
and I think we have to be again careful as we look at these statistics because of the the noise through the um, through the uh, uh, through all these uh, you know changes as we bounce back off the bottom. Okay, we'll just go over next. There's another ugly slide which just shows the GDP number. I shall go to the next one, which is uh, is uh, yeah. This is the the Atlanta uh, GDP now. So uh, that's that red line. So the 32% decline annualized quarterly annualized that we saw in the second quarter is hopefully we'll never see again. Uh, currently, the the expectations are that the, the, the current quarter will be about 20%. Uh, some people have a little bit higher number, but uh, remember that, you know, uh, you know, a 32% decline doesn't bring you back to be, break even if you get a 32% increase. You need, you know, there's the asymmetry of loss here going on. So the 20% increase, again, will look pretty good, but it'll still leave the economy, you know, 7 or 8% smaller overall than it was in January. And that's, that's recession, that's high recession. Um, so again, at least it's moving back up. It's just not moving as quickly uh, as people would like. And, a, and again, a 32% decline uh, translated into actually a 10% decline in GDP. Just absolute went from about essentially $21 trillion to $19 trillion um, in, in absolute terms. So we'll see some increase uh, coming this quarter um, and hopefully it'll be in that range of about 20%. The next page, again, one to watch out for. This is just the measuring the people employed um, to, the, uh, to, to the population ratio. And uh, it obviously just sank all the way down to 50, currently at 55, was, was at 52. I mean, it's never been this low, uh, not in the post-war era. And you know, the big increases in the 70s and 80s would generally uh, women entering the workforce and plus the um, demographic effects of the baby boomers. Um, and then since, since 2000, we've seen a systematic decline in the employment population ratio um, as, as more people retire. Um, and actually because a lot of women have been left, left the workforce as a proportion of the workforce over the last uh, 15 years. But anyway, that decline is, is pretty big. Uh, and what I'd be interested to see is, you know, what it snaps back to. So I don't think it's going to snap back to the 62, 61% all the way up. I think there'll be a lot of people who decide that, you know, enough is enough. Um, it might be age-driven or it might be the fact that they're second workers in a household and, uh, and the kind of jobs they're looking for, they just can't get anymore. So again, something to look out for is why I think some of the recovery is going to take quite some time. Let's look at some other uh, indicators. Um, the next slide, actually, we can go straight to the Jill August one, Debbie. Um, yeah, we, these, are, see, these are the things, we, because the, our economic numbers are so stale. We, you know, the best one we get is, um, is, is claims. That's every Thursday, so we get it a, you know, a week late. Um, but the non-farm payroll numbers, which came out on Friday, the, the survey for that was on the 12th of July. And the, the, the numbers which we'll get on September the 1st, uh, the survey is happening this week. So that's not bad, but then, you know, normally every other major economic uh, indicator is at least four to six weeks old. So, so people have started to use some of these real-time checkers. So the top one, we've got the TSA, that's the number of uh, people passing through TSA, obviously fell off a cliff, coming back lately. And it's telling the same story as the cases really, which is it came back pretty quickly, it seems to have leveled off a little bit. And the one below that is the um, uh, is the uh, um, open table reservations. So obviously they collapsed to zero uh, in various states, uh, and again they snapped back. And 
It depends what kind of shape you want to see in those colors there, but it looks a little U-shaped to me with the right-hand side perhaps you know, coming in, a, in not as high as it started. So again, same story as the case is, the more this spreads out, the more people don't, uh, you know, might back off from, from uh, having uh, you know, their reservations. The next one up is, uh, is, is, is um, airline traffic. And you can see that's, uh, that's the other, the top ones are just different years. The, the bottom ones what, what we're interested in. So the, that's the one that's sort of come up slowly uh, and seems to be uh, you know, on a good trend. I don't know whether that recent dip really means anything. And then finally, we've got the hotel occupancy rates, which again, same story, you know, collapses, comes back pretty sharply, and then the curve begins to level off a bit. But a ho hotel occupancy, as you can see from the top three slides, the normal years, it's wickedly seasonal. You know, they get people that get packed in right now, and then they kind of back off on things like in uh, when they go back to school. So in not in that's I put all these together and you could almost pretty much tell the same story. You know, there's a big snapback, but you know, things have paced off a little bit less than they have, uh, than they, than they, than they were initially. Okay. Next slide. Um, I mentioned a couple of, uh, of market indicators, which have been pretty positive. Uh, this is one of them. This is, um, the, the, just look at the blue line, really. It's basically cars and trucks excluding the heavy trucks, so you know, not, not a big pack of, you know, um, truck coming up behind you, but everything from a, like a, a Ford 350 all the way down to a Corolla. So, um, so you, you put those two together, you're at 14.5 million, got as low as nine. Obviously no one had any interest in buying a car in uh, April or March, April, but that's come back quite strongly. And again, I think that's partly because uh, consumer Consumers have been spending. You know, a lot of the incomes have been been hit, but but uh, you know, with people who still have a job, um, they they've been felt confident to go out and buy uh, buy orders. The other thing that's probably happening is that people feel safer in a car than they do on public transport. So so there might be some people who've decided that that's what they need going forward, um, as opposed to being relying on 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 mass transit. So anyway, that's that's a that's a good sign that's in the right direction. And the next one, the other area I mentioned uh, is the home sales. Uh, you can track, this is the, probably the best one to do. There is existing home sales, which have been pretty robust as well. They're about four and a half million, but this is people buying brand new homes. So um, that's recovered pretty nicely. Uh, it's, it went down um, quite a bit. Uh, forget about 2005, that'll never happen again. I mean, if you can kind of take take the housing boom craziness that went on out of the picture, you can see that this is, this is a pretty good level of new home sales, especially as the population isn't growing very strongly. So home sales have been good. And then the next slide will explain a little bit why, which is that, uh, just look at that black line, it's basically uh, the real mortgage rates are, um, they've, they're very cheap in 09, too cheap. That black line at the bottom probably um, created the housing uh, problems, but, but mortgage rates in nominal terms are now under 3% and in real terms um, about the same, a little bit less than that, even you know, with inflation ticking along the bottom. So if, if uh, again, the people who buy the average, I think the average median age of a, of a new car owner, car owner is 53, the average median age of a someone who buys a home is about 48. These are not the people who have been most hurt by the, um, by the coronavirus, uh, uh, recession and job losses, certainly up till now. So uh, it, it probably wasn't enough to push off people's 
um, desire to own new property if they're in a, if they're in a place to do so, and banks have are quite willing to extend mortgage credit right now. Um, so that's been a good market. The other two indicators just show that uh, is, you know, that V is very very close together. You can see that it's it's snapped back quite nicely on people's expectations for single family homes. So that's uh, definitely a good news uh, story. The next one is the S&P. I wish to remind myself, if nothing else, that the S&P can be horribly volatile. Again, that's the black line where we've seen uh, uh, some big corrections along the way, especially the last few years. But look at those earnings. Those are just um, you know, earnings for, for the S&P. They've tried to factor in what we'll get for, um, for, for the second and third quarter. Yeah, they're down but they're not down nearly as much as the market was. And then the dividends have been, have been uh, you know, quite sustained. I, I think they, they topped out at about $62 a share at about 58 now. So, um, you know, so, so generally those, you know, those haven't collapsed, not nearly as much as they did in 2008, where the banks were told you know, under no uncertain terms not to pay dividends. That hasn't happened this time they've been told to kind of curb their enthusiasm on share buybacks, but on the dividend side, they've usually been given a green light. And so the dividends uh, have held up, you know, remarkably well, you know, uh, and, and I think the market has said, okay, this is, uh, it, it's, it's bad, but we've kind of, you know, factored this in and, uh, and, and we and were able to anticipate the decline in earnings per share from a peak of 150 to about 138 uh, for the year. Um, so next, so this all kind of makes sense with the S&P. A um, couple of points about the S&P that I really would stress that, you know, we hear a lot from clients and I totally agree with them. Say so the market looks rich, it feels rich, it's, it's gone way too, head, too much ahead of itself. But we really have to think of it as uh, not one market, um, but uh, um, uh, several markets. So the top five is the Apple, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, who am I missing? Amazon. Um, these have really been in their own, uh, own, own, um, own league, really. It's, they're up you know, 43% since, since January. And they're 23% of the S&P now. Uh, I, I don't think there's ever been a time where the top five companies have been more than 15%. So they are a huge weighting. Uh, in the S&P. And just to give an idea, if you take the market cap of the top five, they're bigger than uh, all of the S&P 500 companies from 150 to, two, to number 500. So just again, to say that the, to the, mo the total market cap of the top five companies at about six and a half trillion uh, is bigger than the, uh, all of the companies ranked from 150 to, to 500. I mean, these are really, uh, you know, really giant companies and just, you know, playing with the same, you know, same ideas is that, you know, Apple's cash balance would allow it to buy any company uh, from number 38 down uh, for cash. Uh, at number, uh, the 38th biggest company in the S&P is capitalized at 200 billion. That's roughly what they have on their balance sheet. So they could just take out Coca-Cola, Merck, AT&T, Nike, whatever those from down. I mean, they, these guys have enormous amounts of buying power. Um, also, interestingly, uh, you know, Apple at one point, just under 1.9 trillion in market cap is, is bigger than the entire Russell 2000 small cap index. So um, yeah, these guys are big. <laughs> and if you take those guys out, you know, you, then you do the S&P 500, you're up 7% and the S&P 500 is up 3.7. And then we've still got 
you know, we haven't not back to break even on the on the mid cap and the small cap, which are next the the white line and the black line. But they are beginning to move up recently, which has been which has been good to see because I think they're more uh, typical of the larger uh, economy. Um, uh, in broadly, okay, next slide. I think we're coming to the end. Um, yeah, did, did, did you see the market really? You know, had this big V shape from March, and, and really it's been trending sideways and more recently kind of trending up. So it's, it's really taken a breather, which I'm very glad to see from the beginning of June until the end of July, it kind of moved sideways and it kind of liked what it saw in earnings season and so has drifted back up again. Um, so it's, it, it, it may not feel like it, but the volatility has been quite, 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 quite well tempered. And what we're seeing right now is, uh, is some of the market rotating or things like industrials and materials um, and some financials recently uh, begin to begin to move a bit, which didn't really participate in the market rally at all. Uh, so I think that while the market's sort of poking its nose at these at these sort of all times highs, you've got to remember that a lot of the work of that was done by a really handful of companies. It's only just beginning to spread out a little bit, uh, which is uh, good news. Okay, I'll try and take a just try to put all this together. The next slide. Um, yeah, large caps will remain robust, partly because of the tech phenomenon. And you know, those five companies are not particularly expensive. Uh, the the enterprise value to EBITDA is about twenty. For the rest of the S and P, it's sixteen. So there's a there's a premium there for sure. But the kind of things that they do and the amount of cash which they generate is just is just sort of unprecedented. Uh, you know, the, the, the marginal cost to, for Google or Facebook to add another revenue uh, of dollar is, is zero. Uh, so, so these guys you know, throw off an awful lot of cash um, and seem continue to do so. Smaller mid cap have some catching up to do that's beginning to happen. I think it'd be slower. Um, the permanent job losses are not yet at 2008 levels. They're increasing. This is where the jobs just permanently go away. Uh, and that could be a company shutting down or a branch shutting down. But those are... Um, Increasing, but they're not at the levels that they were in 2008. So that's 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 good news. As I said, the next one is I would reiterate that I expect rates to remain low for the next 18, 20, 24 months. The Fed will control that. Uh, and then the income replacement, um, despite what I mentioned about the executive orders, I don't think they're really going to do the job, and maybe they're not even intended to. They're maybe intended just to get the uh, you know, the Congress and White House to come to some sort of um, agreement. Although, as you know, the politics of this is, is particularly vigorous and, uh, and, and difficult to predict. Um, but uh, whatever, whatever happens next is going to be some implications for rent and spending, uh, but not on foreclosures. We don't see really that much happening and credit card debt uh, delinquency is uh, at very modest levels. So we're not looking at a big credit, credit crunch there. Uh, but the whole thing depends, obviously, on reopenings, how, how they're sustained uh, as people, and not just at reopenings from a come, you know, a sense of fiat of of you know things are reopened, but how people feel about mixing and going out into the wider economy and buying, and that seems to be uh, you know happening slowly at best. The weaker dollar is seemed to be something which is going on for a while. It doesn't really surprise us, given that you know every every single currency out there is. Um, is, is at pretty low rates. I think it's, I think it's uh, um, just people buying things like the euro, but the, the US is not about to lose its status as the world's reserve currency. People have been saying that 
pretty much since I've been in this business, so nearly 40 years, don't believe that. Uh, but I think there is a, a kind of a weaker dollar scenario still around, uh, and that's mainly because I think the euro looks uh, relatively attractive on a growth basis. Uh, and also, you know, as far as our investment portfolios are concerned, we continue to have protection in them. This is not over. Protection means treasuries, so we're probably relatively high in treasuries and and these buffer notes and the uh, and and the bond ladder, the high quality bond ladder that we've been using, I think offers a degree of protection, which I think is necessary uh, for us um, in the next few months. So that's that's all I had to say. Thank you for bearing with me. Um, I don't know if we have any questions. Um, so let me see. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, here's, here's, here's a couple. Um, can you brief, briefly talk about uh, how B&J issues this, uses economic input? It'd be interesting to put this in content with regards to managing our portfolios. Yeah, I, I tend to sort of, I mean, the, the economic side is, it sort of goes into the uh, discussions and model about what parts of the market we should be in. Uh, you know, obviously, with low inflation, we think um, um, interest rates are going to stay low, so we'd stay with treasuries. Uh, but with you know the the curves not coming back as quickly as we'd like, so we've, we covered those in a number of cases. We covered those in the uh, economic surprise index, uh, labor, and so on. We'd say that the you know that still requires us to have some protection and some and some uh, you know whether whether in the form of things like buffer notes or things like our investment in uh, noble, which is the dividend aristocrats, which tend to be kind of slower growth parts of the of the economy, like consumer staples and some you know pretty solid industrials. But they, you know, they they're going to be pretty robust stocks. They won't they won't take off in a really really strong up market, but they tend to do better in a in a, in a weaker market. So we kind of put all this into the into the mix. Um, some investment managers are toying with the idea that a vaccine will actually be bad for tech stocks that are currently benefit from COVID. Uh, as people rotate out into cyclicals. I think people will, I don't know if it'd be bad for tech stocks. I think people are still gonna, you know, buy their stuff online and maybe not the same volumes or the same increases. Um, uh, Facebook, Google, I'm not sure how they would be uh, affected. You know, Apple is a story that, well, they said it last week in their, in their results that people went out and said, we're gonna work from home, I better have a decent machine. So they went out and upgraded their, uh, their computers and tablets and phones. So um, I think if there is a vaccine, it will, and I'm sure there will be, it, it will just mean kind of things come, come back to normal and other, other sectors, uh, and maybe some industrials and so on, come back into vogue more than they are currently now. But I don't think it'll be the death of tech stocks. Um, uh, elections, oh yes. <laughs> um, as we try to avoid writing about elections to the last possible minute because they're so difficult to tell, um, it, it's, look, I think the only thing we can say at this point is that if, if, uh, if Biden gets in, there'll probably be some tax increases, nothing, nothing virulent, but, you know, the corporation tax stands out as something where, you know, it went from 35 to 21. And if they popped it back up to 28%, I don't think it'd make any difference at all to, uh, to earnings or to companies' behavior. Um, and so with that, you know, the, the companies that, that didn't benefit from the corporate tax cut, like utilities and communication services and um, were the big ones, they'll probably uh, do relatively, relatively well. Um, I think on the, 
probably you know things like climate change and healthcare come more back into vogue but uh i certainly don't view uh you know most of what biden's talking about as being you know alarming for the market if it'd been if it had been uh bernie Sanders or someone having a different story but different different discussion but i i, I just don't think the actual policies are going to make a huge difference i think the biggest issue of course is how how long does this election go on? Do we have a repeat of you know the end of 1999, 2000, and is it a is it particularly contentious and that therefore make consumers feel like well they shouldn't be spending anything, they shouldn't be going out uh, out um, uh, and and sort of engaging any kind of major economic activities? How do you explain the strong housing market when so many other indicators are on, on different or unstable? I think that's all to do. I'll, I'll say that uh, it's a good question. How do you explain the strong housing market when so many other indicators are indifferent or unstable? I think it's because the demographics of the housing market are different from the more un, unstable parts of the economy. I think it just comes back simply to the fact that uh, it's the kind of bottom 20% of wage earners who've, who've lost their jobs. I mentioned a number of people who lost their money, uh, lost their jobs in in recreation and leisure and hospitality, the house buyers haven't tended to. And so I think if you still had a job and you uh, were thinking of moving because you know, you've got an extra person living in the household or you, you're moving for, uh, for, for work or to get away from work or to have you know, a change or just to upgrade the house, um, that, that, that cohort and part of, part of the dem demographic hasn't really been hurt. They still have the earnings uh, and the lower mortgages, how rates have allowed them to sort of get into, into um, affordable parts of the market. Uh, given Sweden's better than expected GDP, do, do you think their experiment was a success? No, I don't know. It's uh, some weird things going on with Sweden. Sweden is a very homogenous society. Um, the uh, the other thing is that Sweden, having worked for a Swedish company for many, many years and spent a lot of time in there, um, June, the whole country just disappears and the country just shuts down. So people, you know, from midsummer days through July, people don't, are not together in any way. So I, I just don't know whether, um, uh, you know, that there's, there's so many other variables and, um, you know, I just don't know enough about it. I don't know, it's because they, they allowed more movement or they did something with their schools or the fact that they have better health um, uh, elder care centers that, that got in front of this. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one to answer. And I think, um, uh, you know, their, their, uh, their mortality rates are obviously higher than their immediate neighbors. Um, uh, would you summarize what could trip the market up? Um, I think, uh, I think if there was some, um, Big one I just think about is just you know this kind of an escalation of what's going on with with China. I mean it it's uh, you know if if the TikTok thing gets uh, Chinese come back with that and and ban Apple products in China, uh, you know who knows that could escalate pretty darn quickly, and it's a and it's a and it's a nice distraction tactic, um, and you know kind of blame the outsider stuff. So I think that's something I personally worry about because I think you know if you talk to I don't know what I talk to, but you know, if you look at sort of the Apple and the Microsoft, these well, these big companies 
done really well depend on China. And if you take their Chinese markets away from them, they're in a whole world of hurt. Uh, you know, Apple's going to have to ship 60 million iPhones in the fourth quarter from China. They're all made there. And if, and if this escalates, that's an awful lot of planes that are going to be you know, waiting to get their iPhones shipped over to, to America. So I, so I think that, that, that would worry me. Um, and, uh, and obviously any, anything to do with the virus, which showed a big kick down in terms of, um, uh, you know, the, the curve didn't fly, sorry, the, the cases suddenly started to increase and we had a, a second wave, which is more lethal than the first one, I think would have some, some pretty big surprises to the market. Yeah, and uh, breaking news, apparently uh, you know, Biden has announced uh, Kamala Harris as, uh, as vice president. So yay, Kamala. So um, that's great. So, or not, depending on your view. But anyway, uh, thank you very much. Uh, sorry it's gone a bit long um, and we're op always open for emails. Please drop me an email at cthwaites at BNJ Advisors or on our blog, you can find a um, you know, a general email if you want, or just uh, call your contact uh, here at Brown Janikowski or FA, happy to do it. Um, and thanks very much. And I'm going to read the disclosure. I know everybody loves the disclosure, so here comes the disclosure. Discussions of the investment, investment strategy, research, investment process of Brown Janikowski are of the date indicated or as of the date of this presentation, subject to change without notice. Charts illustrated throughout this presentation may be updated periodically. We have no obligation to provide revised assessments in the event of changed circumstances. We cannot assure that type of investments mentioned in this presentation will provide intended results or outform any other investments in the future. We reserve the right to change our investment perspective and look outlook without notice as market conditions dictate and additional information becomes available. Diversification does not protect an investor from market risk, does not ensure uh, a profit. The information is subject to unintentional errors. Uh, emissions and challenges without notice. While we gather this information from sources we leave to be reliable, uh, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any standards or numerical data in the presentation. References to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The security is noted in this presentation or any several of the successful and unsuccessful investments by Brown Janikowski do not represent all the securities we have purchased and sold or recommended. Uh, index returns provide include reinvested dividends and interest. We do not reflect commissions or transaction costs, mutual fund returns include reinvested dividends, capital gains tax, capital gains distributions, mutual fund returns on net of the fund expenses. However, they do not reflect Brown Janikowski's fees. Please read the prospectus carefully before investing or sending money passports. No guarantee of future results. We may, we may reference various hypothetical investment illustrations. These are for illustration purposes only, not investment recommendations. Do not guarantee any indication of future results. Congratulations to Joe Roberts for being the first American on the MotoGP podium since John Kuczynski in 1992. Thank you.